1: morning to you and isn't it a beautiful thursday morning at least outside anyway hope it's going well for you inside as well and i don't just mean inside your building i mean the inside of you hope you're feeling good hope you're feeling well both physically and mentally Hope things are going well for you on this Thursday morning. Good morning and welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and Hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Thank you for joining us. Jeff Howell will be along shortly. Our producer, Cameron Parker, chomping at the bit. I know some of you say champing. (laughs) Excited to have an opportunity to call a compelling Playoff baseball series that it'll have tonight in Class Six A, Region Four, Region Quarterfinal Game One, the Round Rock Dragons and the Westlake chaparral How you doing, Cam?
2: I'm doing. Cra- I'm doing great, Craig. I am ecstatic for this series. I am pumped up. and uh, It seems like around the area, everyone else is pumped up because B B&E, and uh, talked about it this yeah, morning. Yeah, they were. Uh, they were calling upon you. I didn't say. I know. Uh, on Ball Don't Lie, Hard had Coach Blair on yesterday. I think Coach Carter possibly on the day. So it uh-huh. seems like the Centex area is kind of getting into this Westlake Round Rock series. And for good reason, too.
1: Yeah, and that's just one of several series involving, a handful of series yeah. involving area schools that we'll get to in our Flex 30 update uh, coming up uh, in the second hour of the program. Also in the second hour of the program, uh, we're going to visit with Mike White, Texas softball head coach. Uh, they got a pretty big series as well, you might say. It's a regional series. Uh, Regional tournament NCAA regionals play begin tomorrow across the country, and that includes at Red and Charlene McCombs Field. Texas, the number one seed in that regional, number 13 overall national seed. Uh, The Longhorns will play Seton Hall, winners of the Big East, so they'll play them. And then, uh, of course, the other side of that bracket still there in that regional is the two-seed Texas A&M and the three-seed Texas State. They have a real Texas flavor in that uh, regional. So um, Coach White will join us uh, in the 11 o'clock hour to discuss that. Uh, Obviously, we'll take a look at the Longhorn Baseball Series against West Virginia. We'll hear from uh, some comments from David Pierce with regard to that uh, coming up in in the second hour as well. So it's an important uh, matchup. Uh, for Texas, not only in terms of the obvious. They'd have to win the Big 12. They'd have to win all three games of the series with West Virginia to have a shot at claiming a share of the Big 12 title. Oklahoma State has to lose at least once. and, And you have to think the odds are decent of that. It is Bedlam. It is a rivalry series. And they are playing in Norman. So you think, you know, Oklahoma has played better in the second half of the season, as we all saw down here when the Sooners were here. And so uh, the the thought process is, hey, Oklahoma wins one. Of course, <laughs> then the hard thing, finding a way to beat uh, West Virginia, not once, not twice, but thrice. Got to beat them all three to claim a share. If that were to happen, by the way, um, uh, lest they be forgotten, Kansas State could also claim a share of the title. Now, they also would have to earn a sweep, but their sweep is again, would have to come against TCU, not against West Virginia. So uh, there's there's all kinds of permutations out there for what could happen. There could be, uh, I, I know Aaron Hogan's talked a lot about or mentioned it, mentioned it several times that Texas could finish as low as seventh. They could, they could. There could also be a six-way tie for second place in the Big 12. That's how jumbled and how tight things are in the Big 12 conference. So we'll go over that. Uh we'll also go over uh some uh, NCAA regional projections. There are three in specific that that I take a close look at and we'll uh, we'll run those down. You if you are a Longhorn baseball fan, you probably would not like the destination for Texas and two of those three. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that for the moment, but we'll get to that. Uh PGA championship is is underway. We'll keep you uh, posted on that. Uh, Justin Thomas has pulled into a tie for the lead with Higa at minus four. They're both at four under John Rom, the Masters Champion, minus one. Zach Johnson is is also at one under. Scotty Scheffler uh is uh, is even par right now but has had to scramble Back and forth. So anyway, a lot to uh, to unpack uh, here as uh, we get you through into this Thursday morning and uh, and and for the weekend NBA playoffs last night. Heat earning one. You know, there's an old um, there's an old saying with regard to pro sports, be it hockey, basketball, baseball, that a series doesn't start until a road team wins a game. Well, then it's underway in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, because uh, the Heat winning in Boston was uh, was uh, big for the Heat now, so now things have changed there. And we'll see if the Lakers can do likewise as they uh, take on the Denver Nuggets. So uh, we'll see in game two about that. Uh, always pleased to be joined by my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. And uh, not only that, of course, he wore the purple and white. Highway 79, they knew him in his honorable bench and all-district offensive lineman days at Florence High School. But you don't win best for his outstanding work at Orange 24-7. That's Jeff Howe. How are you doing this morning? Michael Jordan's son, Jimmy Butler, having a
0: big playoff game that, last night. How about
1: that, Yeah, yeah. He's... you believe
0: that, Cam? That Craig, you guys believe that, that urban legend that Jimmy Butler is really Michael Jordan's son?
1: Uh, I've heard the story. Mm-hmm. I've heard the story. Cam, you're familiar with this, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, don't think it's true, but he's probably the most similar player to MJ's psyche, and that's currently in the NBA right now.
0: I I'll, I'll, I'll love how the conspiracy theorists have connected the dots enough to pique my interest in it and think maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe, so I'm, I'm holding out hope.
2: Really?
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, do you they're... also believe that McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are long-lost brothers? Yeah, as that's long a long weird as, deal, As long too, as we're isn't?
0: not getting Aaron Hogan in on that discussion, then we can have that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> he was, that was he was struggling I to love, figure out I the love, genealogy. Our, I that love day. our morning show hosts, but that was easily like five to ten of the most frustrating minutes of live radio I've ever heard in my life. I went cross-eyed at one point during that segment. It was,
1: it was, it was, uh, it was quite humorous when it was going on. Uh, it's kind of like one of
0: those urban urban myths that you know you follow. Like when I was a kid, and and every every kid that you know every kid watched pro wrestling at some point. There was that myth that the ultimate warrior died and then a fake ultimate warrior came back to take his place. It was really the same guy.
1: So I'm they borrowed about. that from the Beatles myth that Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney had, died. Yeah. yeah. Paul was dead and the whole Abbey Road cover with the with the mourner, the the minister, the gravedigger, and the corpse yeah. or the, the, the This wasn't dead. like mm-hmm.
0: a, this wasn't like a storyline deal though, Because he was he had gone away and then when he came back he was noticeably smaller. It's just because they had, you know, at that point in time a quote unquote steroid policy.
1: At yes, time. I understand.
0: Not like the wellness policy they have today, which anybody that's been in that company will tell you, the wellness policy is pretty legit. But...
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let, let me just, since I just mentioned it, it's only fair to really update the uh, PGA Championship leaderboard. I mentioned Justin Thomas at four under. Yeah. Uh, he made triple bogey, so he's at one under through four holes of his round playing the back nine first. And Kazuki Higa has just made a bogey, so he's three under, uh, having played eight holes of his first round playing the back nine first. In fact, several of the guys n- at or near the top of the leaderboard are playing the back nine first, and that includes John Rahm, who just barely missed a birdie pup but just made par on his third hole, which would be the 12th holes. He plays the back nine first there. So, uh, he is at one under par right now. Uh Colin Murakawa is at minus one as well. And Keegan Bradley is at minus one. Uh, Jordan Spieth is plus one as he plays right now. He is also playing the back nine first. Where's and, Tiger? And uh, he's uh, he's sitting in uh, home in Windermere, Florida is what is where Tiger is. Well, then I don't care. I don't care what happens this weekend. <laughs> it's a major championship and you have no, no, no interest in it. I'm just
0: trying to see if I can needle Cam at all, but that that
1: didn't. He didn't that didn't take. move, didn't move the needle. He ain't taking the bait. So. Didn't, didn't, didn't take there.
2: If, if you said like, I only care about Greg Norman, then we could, then you'd needle. Yeah,
1: then, then it would have worked out. Uh, by the way, Lifetime Longhorn Bo Hostler just made a long bogey putt, and he is plus a plus one. He's actually playing the front nine first. And just made the, a long uh, birdie putt at number six to go to plus one. There's, so. made,
0: there's major championship golf on TV this weekend. That means there is. That means Cam's sports pants are going to be far from flaccid
1: this weekend. Well, there, there's that, and he's he's sitting over over in Round Rock tonight,
2: calling game one of of Round Rock against Westlake. So yeah, stars are playing the Western Conference Finals. We got NBA basketball. There's a lot going on, Jeff. A lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some he's got some
1: stuff happening uh, as well don't we all in fact, you have to duck out eleven what you've got a you've got an all hands on deck meeting for the uh Outstanding Horns 24-7? Yeah, it's a, it's
0: actually a company-wide deal. Uh, I don't know if this covers the CBS folks, but at least on the 24-7 side, we've got some kind of anal- new analytics platform we're using, so i got to go through some mandatory
1: training okay. on that. Hey, I want to ask you a question, and uh, this in no way, shape, or form is to put you on the spot, and you, you need... No, no, no. You need only comment about this as much as you are comfortable. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm curious on a on a different level. Is this
0: about my whereabouts on a certain day? or
1: uh, No. Okay. No, I'd have to right. ask Tamara about that. We can, you know.
0: we can navigate this a little bit better, then. Okay. Uh, you're movie.
1: familiar with the gentleman, correct me if I mispronounce his name, Carter Carrolls? Mm? Yeah. Okay. All Good right? dude. Okay. All right. So he's he's two four seven, right?
0: Yeah, he's our tech, uh twenty four seven Sports Texas A and M writer.
1: Uh he's pretty upset with on three sports because he said that they basically just basically as he says stealing, Pilfered. plagiarism. But uh uh his he's his his uh Tweet was really at on three sports using what I tweeted without crediting the person who was actually there to hear Jimbo's comments and copying it word for word. That's stealing. You would think you'd be more cautious when handling such a sensitive subject. And what this is about is uh, Jimbo Fisher uh, speaking to the Dallas A and M Club revealed that his son could possibly be cured of his Fanconi anemia in two to four years after the beginning uh, after beginning some gene replacement therapy. In June, and so that was that was it. And and on three did their their tweet about it. My, my Aggregated qu- it. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So my question to you is this, and I'm not asking you to comment on that one way or other, or mm-hmm. as much as you're comfortable. Um, my question is this: in the world in in which you, uh, the v- very highly competitive world of, of of team sports coverage, especially with uh, fan sites and things of that nature. Mm-hmm how often do all of them walk the line about how you report something having gotten a tip from it from another such agency without crossing the line and just out and out as carter carroll says stealing um, the work is it, is it is it a common thing that where you have to it's a, find a different route if it's
0: original reporting right like yeah. aggregation that's that's out of my purview. I don't really deal in the ag I, I did at one point, but you know, it's kind of changed where that's not really. It seems like Cameron and I had a discussion about this yesterday, just about the the media industry, that sports industrial complex. Uh huh. As Ron Babers likes to call it. Yeah, he's so the first eloquently. I ever heard say that. Uh, it, it does feel like in just some of the the memos I've gotten, some of the the workshops we've done, and the the Zoom calls I've been on, it does feel like. I'm optimistic. Let me say that I'm optimistic that at least from in, in the realm of what I do, on the site publisher end, feels like we're starting to maybe focus more on quality instead of uh, quantity. Yeah, like we're maybe we're getting back to that direction. so yes. that's that's something positive. Again, I'm optimistic that we're going in that road. road. Uh, but it's a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's a if it's a commitment, you know, we're all gonna get it within. A minute of each other. Sure. Uh, if it's a news story where you know legitimately somebody else reported something, I've got no problem giving somebody else attribution that and so yep. reported at first, such and such reported it first. Right. Right. Uh, you know, but but that said, it's my job to confirm said story and make sure that it's it's accurate.
1: Here's here's the other reason why I asked this, and and again, like I said, I'm n- neither I nor you. I'm not asking you, and I'm not doing either rendering any thought opinion or judgment on that deal between those two what my my point was was this um like yesterday uh (laughs) when you guys so admirably covered while i was waiting for and during the uh installation (laughs) of a a new uh air conditioning and heating system the Mm -hmm. whole hvac process and the, the marathon day that that became or you sit
0: in a kiddie pool filled with ice or something to cool you down.
1: Uh, it 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 interim. didn't get that point, but it was starting to get warm by the time everything got done. But, a little toasty, uh, yeah. So it, it it was getting warm, but it but it got done. But the point that I was going to make was I was listening to you guys when I was also doing other things and having the dog in and out and all this other kind of and stuff. Roast,
0: roasting your cashews off,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard that some of the sound that you had from obviously from Sark uh and and from rodney uh there at the texas fight final tour stop there in houston and i heard cam say boy you, you own joe cook on that old deal and you said in <laughs> fairness to joe it, he'd yeah. had a lot of what he'd already had in the can and so that's why he went there mm-hmm. so in other words joe works for another company you're for the company we've heard joe on our airwaves before obviously uh, we all know joe were friends and all that other kind of stuff yeah. But, but, I guess that's the dynamic I'm talking about about uh, when when it's something like that, like an event, you're both there. So if somebody's asking a question, that doesn't mean they have exclusive right to the answer that the coach gives. The yeah. coach is answering the question. We're all standing there with microphones and cameras and and notepads and things of that and nature. There's,
0: there's a level of respect I, i'm I'm only speaking for myself here there, i I have a level of respect for my colleague. If it's something that. Is, is big and, and needs to get reported, like it's timely and it needs to come out now, then then it's, you know, in, in that setting anything technically is fair game, but that's that's fair game. But if it's if I sense that one of my colleagues is asking repeated questions about a subject, I might wait to put together something on that those lines of questions knowing that, okay, they probably have something they're working on, so I'm going to leave that alone. You're going to
1: respect that side Yeah, of that.
0: because there's stuff I want answers to during a media availability like that, that I'm going to write about, and I would think, I I don't expect the same courtesy, but more more often than not, it's it's an, uh, what's the best phrase I can use? It's like an unspoken understanding that hey, so and so is asking questions about this. They're probably writing something about it. So let them
1: do their thing. Let,
0: let them do their thing. Let me kind of see what they do, and then I'll you know handle mine thereafter.
1: The only time that gets uncomfortable. I think if someone is like you said, they're on a they're on a stream and they're going and they're asking question question question, and then you have a either if it's a pro sports, a, a well it could be pro or college, a media relations representative said, okay, we only got time for a couple more. You got to get what you need to get in in, and yet that person's also working on something too. So that that makes it a delicate balance and kind of uncomfortable. That's why it? I like
0: these because it's if you didn't. I'll put it this way, during these tour stops, if, you, if you're if you a Texas beat reporter and you didn't get something answered by Steve Sarkeesian that you wanted answered, that's your fault.
1: Yeah, baby. that's on you.
0: Yeah. So, you had ample, you have, am- you had you ample had opportunities, opportunities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because right. I, don't, I don't think we'll talk to Sark
1: again probably until Big 12 Media Days. Yep, I think you're probably right. Uh, which are coming up in July, the uh, 12th and 13th. Uh, and it's and it's kind of an unusual thing. What's going to happen with Big Twelve Media Days? So they're going to go back to back days. I still don't
0: understand the format and what's happening.
1: Did just... I confuse you more when I sent the timetable
0: out to <laughs> no, everybody? No, it. I'm I'm confused. Nobody that said anything after me initially hearing what the plan was has confused me any more than I already was.
1: So. Oh, okay, okay. All <laughs> right, there there you go. I understand that. <laughs> and the Big Twelve can be somewhat confusing on some of these things and sometimes. I like, so everybody's there both, both days. days
0: that just short
1: circuited at staggered, right staggered times so like the first day i think it's noon to 5
0: and the first day is like breakouts and radio stuff and then the mm. th- apparently the second day is all press conference stuff
1: yeah 8:30 a.m. to 1 p.m. yeah
0: i just yeah. Uh, uh. yeah
1: yeah 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 Yeah, so make your head hurt. Yeah, so uh, so anyway, grab the grab the whole
0: hallelujah, holy s. Where's the Tylenol?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, that's 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 coming up, but that's on down the road. That's in July. That's after the end of this academic and athletic school year ends. That's after Jeff and Tamara and Charlotte take their vacation in June. It's after I take my vacation, the annual sabbatical, which comes. Uh, late June into uh, early July, and I'll be back in time for uh, Big 12 Media Days.
0: Hey, can I? I need to ask something on the specs text line. I need help from the listening audience. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Because we talked yesterday as a family about what we're going to do for the family vacation because we thought we had something planned out. It fell through? Well, no, it didn't fall through. My wife has reversed course.
1: I think we're going to Disney. Uh,. I've got something in inconceivable that'll change her mind. So my question is: My daughter's five.
0: My question for the listening audience is: Should we wait another year or two before we go, or is five a, an appropriate age, a good age to take your kid to Disney?
1: A. I will tell you this: Five is an appropriate age. Okay. Uh, Linda's uh, grandson's going to really enjoy it. B. It's going to be a moot point. I'll give you spoiler alert right now: Disney World's closed. Really. Indefinitely, and it has nothing to do with the political fight that's going on in Florida. No, it's 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 work on upgrade. I'll monozuma's
0: you... revenge. No, no, no it's
1: not. I no, no problem with that. I have two Disney related stories for inconceivable, and one of them is that. But I'll give some more details. on it. It's closed indefinitely. Okay. Well, now, <laughs> Disney World is closed. Disneyland in California, yeah, is open if. Camera's on board with that.
0: Okay. Well, we might have to have a little chat about that. Okay. All right. My, Craig, you might have just torpedoed our vacation.
1: Sorry about that. Well, you said, <laughs> "Wait a minute." You're the one who said you were kind of. It was in flocks.
0: See, yeah. Well, now two back-to-back texts. I went at five, and you're telling me it's good, and then somebody wait until age seven to eight. So,
1: here's here's where you are with that. Yeah. Here here's my thought about that. It depends how much. You fixate on the, I spent this much money and this kid is not going to remember it type theory, uh, school of yeah, thought yeah, that a lot yeah. of folks have. Mm-hmm. There are many who have that kind of thing. They're not going to enjoy it and I'm going to spend all this money, blah, 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 A kid will enjoy Disney World at virtually any age. Okay. Any age. It, it, it just, I mean, I'm telling you, uh, Linda's grandson just has been two or three times and has been on a couple of Disney cruises and loves it. Okay. Absolutely loves it, uh, and he's almost seven. He's not even seven yet. Um, so kids are going to be kids, and they're going to love stuff like that. Now, does that m- mean that kids wouldn't love it if you took them some other place? Of course not. Kids, kids love it. I used to take my kids on travel. We we had one deal where uh, my late first wife uh, Laurie needed me to take the three older ones and get out of town for. For like three or four days, she Jason was just like a little over a year old. She said, "I'll handle Jason, but I, I, I need to get this house cleaned. I need to get some things done. I need to take the other ones and go out of town." You know what we did? You know the like Fiesta, Texas. And then I took them down to the coast. We went to the aquarium and uh, Corpus, and you mm-hmm. know, did that stuff. I think we spent one night at a motel in El Campo on the way back. But the kids, they had a good time because they were on the road and they were with they were with, they you know, with in this case, their dad. But yeah. uh, mom and dad, when you're on vacation, kids are gonna have a good time when they're on vacation.
0: My five year old, there's not a whole lot she hates. Like she, if we're, if yeah. we're going to, to Chick fil A and she gets to play on the playground for ten minutes, yeah. that's that's a great day.
1: Yeah. That's that's my point. Okay. So they're, they're, right, if I you're gotcha. taking the kid out of town, it, it all depends on your um, uh, what what uh, Bob Cole used to call the grief to dollars ratio. What's the the grief to dollars ratio? You know, you're, is is are you is is something worth the money that you're spending on it to do it? So, you know, that's that's something to keep in mind. Okay. So that you know, uh, but no Disney World. Uh, is it's it's closed right now indefinitely. So I'll I, and I'll give you some details on that coming okay. up. in inconceivable. Up next, we're gonna have our Longhorn
0: notebook. One more cut from Sark that I wanted to devote time to because cool. It's kind of the, one of the overriding themes of where this program is headed.
1: Cool. All right, we're gonna we're gonna do that uh, coming up. Uh, we do have inconceivable. Uh, We'll have a Flex 30 update in the second hour. Mike White, Texas softball coach, second hour. We'll also have some comments from David Pierce on this matchup. And I will, I will run down some of those crazy permutations that could happen for the Big 12 Conference baseball race entering the final weekend. And we'll look at uh, regional projections. There are three sets that I've examined uh, about where uh, the Longhorns could wind up being. So we'll get to that coming up. This is Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app at and hornfm.com.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for
0: what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Craig Webb and Jeff Howe, light the tower.
2: Traveling in a combi,
0: On a hippie trail head full of zombies Strange lady, she made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast. And She said, Do you come from a
2: landowner? A woman, can't
0: you hear, hear that?
1: This is like the tower on the horn, and I am. Lab, one thing that if you listen to this program regularly, what you've heard me tell you, uh, to if I make a mistake on something, especially factual, please call me on it and and, and let me know. And sure enough, somebody said, Where did you see that that Justin Thomas made a triple bogey? Uh, I see. Birdie, Par 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 and uh that person is right. My eyes have failed me. So I'm sorry about that. You know. Um uh, I'm I'm I uh, I have to apologize. Yeah, I I had <laughs> what was a I conflated or let my eyes do the trick on me. He played four holes and was minus one and it kinda swam together at minus four, and then all of a sudden I see him at minus one. I thought, Oh, he made triple bogey. No, he didn't. Uh it he is uh at one under uh birdie par 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 so that's it we'll we'll uh we'll keep you updated on that but uh thanks for pointing that out i do appreciate that we want to make sure that uh, we're accurate on these things especially as we um go through uh this uh the leaderboards and he did he he's playing the back nine first as i mentioned and he birdied the uh, the par uh, four-tenth, and then went uh, par, par, par. So birdie and then three pars. And he's playing his fifth hole of the day. That's number 14. So we'll keep you updated on that. And Kazuki Higa is uh, the leader right now through eight holes of his round playing the back nine first. He's minus three. Uh, and Callum Terran uh, is minus two with Emiliano Grillo, uh, Ryan Fox, Harold Varner third. Scott Stallings, Davis Riley, Zach Johnson, uh, Kirk Kitayama, and uh, Justin Thomas all at uh, minus one. Also Colin Murakawa, Jimmy Walker, Cameron Smith, John Rahm, uh, Lee Hodges, Adam Aronk, Uh, Justin, Sue, and Keegan Bradley. They're all in red numbers right now, minus one. We'll keep you updated on that. Right now, it's time for a Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook.
0: All right, Cam, let's go ahead and get to this cut. Uh, We heard a lot from Steve Sarkisian and Rodney Terry yesterday from the Tuesday Texas Fight Tour stop in Houston, the last stop on the Texas Fight Tour. And heard a lot of good stuff from Sark, but I wanted to save one because I think it gets back to, I think it shows kind of where the program was when Sark got here, where it is now, heading into year three, and ideally where he hopes things are going once this program gets into the SEC. Now, I heard him say in Houston, and Craig, we've heard him talk about this. Actually, Mm -hmm. before that, let's go back to last summer. And, you know, we've heard Sark and Kyle Flood both talk about they want big humans. They want big humans. They like big people in the trenches. And I was telling you, like, you know, I don't know that, We've ever really heard from Sark why he likes big people because
1: we just automatically assume they want big guys,
0: right? Because some coaches like different kinds of offensive linemen. Some coaches want to take leaner guys and bulk them up. Some want to take big guys and slim them down. Sark and Kyle Flood just want big guys. Want to keep them big and see where they fit in. So, I asked Sark, where did where was that philosophy born? I figured it was born in the SEC, but he told us last year at coaching school, no, it was from his time in the NFL. Because the Falcons had and still have one of the smallest offensive lines in the NFL. In fact, when Sark was the OC there, they did have the smallest offensive line in the NFL, and he didn't like when they would go up against, you know, the Ravens or, uh, you know, the Eagles. Pick your team, your Patriots, your team with really those three down fronts where you just got massive human beings up front. Didn't like the fact that they would have issues there. And he told himself, and this is what he told us verbatim, he said, I told myself if I ever had a chance to do it again, I'm not going to walk into a stadium and get bullied. So that's why they wanted big physical offensive linemen and really big physical linemen on both sides of the ball. So that's where this idea of big humans was born. We've seen them carry it out. And I heard Sark talk about it in San Antonio, you know, getting ready to go into the SEC if you're building a roster the right way, and at Texas, Sark's made really no bones about it. You, you come to Texas, you take this job, ideally, to go compete for a national championship. And if you're going to do that going into the SEC, you better build you a roster that's ready to compete with Alabama and Georgia and LSU week in and week out and Tennessee and Florida going down the line. And so that got me thinking, you know, OK, it looks like Sark is building a roster that's ready to go compete in that league. But it's a roster that when you look at it, I, th- I think probably is the most talented roster in the Big 12. Now, I'm getting to that point of the year where I'll look at really start looking hard at what everybody else has got, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a more talented roster in the Big 12. And I think it just goes to show you how much of this is, you know, getting ready for something bigger, you know, looking at not just what works now, but what's going to work down the road specifically, but how much of it is just Sarkis just building a roster that jives with. His philosophy on what wins football games. So I asked him about that, and uh, this was his response. I think that's a good point. I, I was going to say that you took the words out of my mouth. I think I, you know, ultimately you get to this stage of your career of uh, where I think you. you... Stand firm on your two feet of knowing who you are. At least you'd hope so, and I feel like I do. And you know, I believe in being big up front. I believe in being trying to be the
2: most physical team every time we take the field. And um, but to complement that, you have to have speed on the perimeter. And so that's just what I believe in. It, it just so happens that that's kind of what's needed in that other league too, because of the the way
0: teams are built. Uh, but I think it's a it's a formula for success in whatever league that you
2: play in. Little League to the NFL, you know, it just seems like if you're big up front, you've got, you know, really skilled speed athletes and you've got good quarterback play, you always got to give yourself a chance to to win football games.
0: You know, one of the things, Craig, when when people talk about, especially in, in kind of the realm I'm in in recruiting, they're like, you know, why why are guys from the Southeast, you know, why are you guys always ranking guys committed to SEC schools so highly? You know, what what, what is the, the fascination with, with the SEC? And I would say, You know, I know I'm going to exclude Central and South Florida in this, but, Craig, I would say if you just made you a circle, just circled in the area, let's go from – let's try Interstate 30, right? Let's just take Interstate 30 and –
1: Which runs from Little Rock to Weatherford, basically, Texas.
0: Well, let's just look at that, and, and, you know, we go over to, you know – Kind of from Memphis to, to now. What is that interstate highway? That's that I-40. From Memphis to Nashville? Yeah, so basically take a line like I-40 and draw a line right there, and then draw a line along the I-10 corridor or basically go from go from San Antonio to Jacksonville. I got you. And that, that swath right there, that's probably where you'll find the bulk of your talent your college football talent in the country is gonna be in that that area right there.
1: In meteorological terms, as they were describing a weather system. North of a line from San Antonio to Jacksonville and south of a line from Memphis to uh Raleigh.
0: Yeah, cause cause look at the major metro areas that are that that fall into that category, right? Dallas, Houston, New Orleans. Memphis, Nashville, Atlanta, Montgomery, Mobile, Jacksonville. Yeah, that that area, that part, those parts of the country produce a lot of really talented football players. Right, and it's really interesting once you get into the southeast, you get into Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. I don't know what they do down there, but they have a habit of growing really, really big people who are really, really athletic that you just don't find in other parts of the country. (laughs) And those guys are at a premium. And Alabama and LSU and Georgia and, and the, the schools that are really good in the SEC do a really good job at, at getting those guys year in and year out. And I think if you're Sark, knowing how competitive the state of Texas is, it's really hard to find those guys. So they've already won part of the battle, just get, identifying guys that kind of fit that mold. And you even look at where they've gone to get some of those guys, right? It'd take the edges included in some of their interior guys. You know, they went to Mississippi to get Aaron Bryant. They went to Alabama to get Justice mm-hmm. Finkley. They've gone to different parts of the country to get some of these guys. That's why the SEC is the league it is, is what I'm getting at because of the kind of athletes they produce. They produce a lot of really big, really good, really talented athletes. But I also think it's interesting, too, that, you know, you look at what you kind of can see, and this is what makes coaching transitions and the coaching transitions that Texas has gone through, which there's been too many of them, and we all know that, and there's not enough time to, to get into all that and do revisionist history, but this is why initially coaches at Texas really struggle right off the bat. Charlie did. Saw Tom Herman do it. Sark went point five and seven because you're taking somebody else's talent that fits into somebody else's vision and their philosophy on what they believe wins football games, and now you're trying to put that towards your philosophy of what you believe in And it may not jive. The pieces just may not fit what you want to do. And we've seen with whether you talk about Max Reboot post-2010, the three years with Charlie Strong, and the four years with Tom Herman, by the time they get their roster in place where they want it, where they feel like they can go win games with it, Now you're out the door and you're turning it over to somebody else who now needs another two or three years to at least get – first got to get the bodies in the door, then you got to develop them. So that's why I say Sark's already won a really big part of the battle, just getting the talent on campus. Now you look at the way he wants to win football games, you see it. Like he wants to be able – you know, you talk about running the football, like what do coaches mean when you want to have a running game you can count on? We've heard – you've heard a lot of coaches say this, Craig. You want to be able to run the football – when the opponent knows you have to run the football, those times late in the game where you need to bleed clock, you need to move the chains, you need to put the game away. At that point, can you go run the football? And the best way to do that is really talented running backs, but more importantly, big people that can constantly reestablish the line of scrimmage. That's how you do that. And that we've seen SART go about that. Why is Texas why was Texas so good against the run last year? You you really we talked about this on the Longhorn Blitz podcast this week. You really start to look at the run defense numbers last year from 2021 to 2022. So one of the better turnarounds with a run defense in school history if you really mm-hmm. go just start getting into the nitty-gritty. It's really impressive what they did. But go look at the amount of mass they've got on that interior defensive line that they had last year. You know, Coburn's 340-plus, Sweat's 340-plus, uh, Ojimo's an athletic 300. He, he paired really well with some of those guys. Same thing with Byron Murphy. Then you've got uh, an athletic freak like Alfred Collins. Vernon Broughton's in the 3-teens. So they were able to roll, you know, legitimately be 3-deep with two guys they could put in, just roll out units, and, and they were big guys that could take up blockers and then let your linebackers work behind them. So – it's a roster that, based on the talent you've got and where you're getting it from, should be able to compete in the SEC. But you're also really getting an idea that hey, Sark has talked about what he wants to to put the product he wants to put on the field that he believes can win ball games. You're seeing it with the talent they've got. Mm-hmm. And when you talk, when you hear Sark talk about this, looks like my team. It sounds like my team. This, like, what does a Steve Sarkeesian football team look like? This is what it looks like. It's big and physical between the hash marks and on the perimeter. It is elite speed and quickness.
1: Uh, You have to refresh my memory. I'm going to guess you were a single-digit age youngster in 1992? 92. Uh,
0: Yeah, I was 8 or 9. I think I was turning 9 that year. Okay. You didn't –
1: did you ever – I can't remember if we've had this discussion before. Did you ever go to the Cowboy training camps at St. Ed's? Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: Yes. That was my vacation most summers. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Okay. All right. So 1992 – the first year when they, the breakthrough with the Super Bowl championship, and uh, and and you know what
0: I love about that ninety two roster? What do you I love eat? this factoid. Jimmy and Jimmy loves bragging about it still. When the Cowboys won Super Bowl twenty seven, when they beat the Bills, yeah, they were the lowest paid, youngest roster in the NFL.
1: Yeah, yeah, they were. That's that's true, and uh, and uh, you know it, they had started building it before. I remember uh, in ninety one. At training camp, Steve Berline with the team, and I was down there with the radio station with KRLD, and we would rent an apartment over, uh, over off of Woodward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was in a decent apartment. They, they allowed us to rent an apartment, so we had guys, you know, staying in it. It was like a three-bedroom apartment uh, throughout the course of the summer, and we would take it in two- to three-week shifts, you know, during the time overlapping with training camp, that sort of thing. It seemed like training camp went on forever back then. It did. And, and uh, so uh, and I remember Steve Berline speaking to a group we had with sponsors and things like that, but the, I'll always remember this. It's summer 92. Tony Wise, the offensive line coach. You know, and he had, you know, he had, he had Mark Stepnoski and he had Kevin Gogan and he had Nate Newton and he had Mark two and eight Williams. Yeah. He had all, he had those guys, uh, on that offensive front and somebody was asking him about. Nate Newton and Nate was just starting to break through really then mm-hmm. and he asked him what he liked what do you, what do you like about Nate he's what well, he's this and this he goes but mainly he's a big guy he said he's just big he's got big head big hands big feet big ass he's just a big guy <laughs> and we were all like wow well, what a soundbite you know Yeah. And, and that's what it was so uh that's that was Tony Wise talking about Nate Newton at the time.
0: And I think there we saw a time, I, I think you saw Tim Nunez build some offensive lines like this at Texas in the early yeah. 2000s with Mack, where that was still a time where people were trying to replicate that Cowboys line. Mike the, Williams. The Mike Williams, Leonard Davis, yeah. uh, even like a guy like Antoine Kirk Hughes yeah. was, you know, what was Kirk Hughes like? I remember him being like in 310, 320, yeah. something like that. The problem is, you know, Bob Stoops built some. Uh, Built some off, Kevin Wilson built some offensive lines like that mm-hmm. in Oklahoma in the, the late 2000s. That's right. The problem you run into there, though, you got to be careful because, again, you can recruit big guys, but you got to make sure they're big guys that can move. And some big guys that have position flexibility and position versatility, especially now where you really got to maximize scholarships and as much cross-training that goes on on the offensive line, if guys are big and sloppy, then they're not going to do you much good. You know, they're going to, you know, conditioning becomes an issue and, and it's 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 almost counterproductive at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, like I, I remember watching some stuff stick with the Cowboys I remember watching some stuff with Bill Parcells when he got the job, some behind the scenes stuff from training camp. He was just talking about th- they're re- they're so big, but they're so slow you know and he he liked more like Kevin Mawai type offensive lineman that he'd been with kind of leaner more athletic type guys but again that that shows you how tough some of these transitions can be uh when you're taking somebody else's talent and their vision now you you've got the job first year now you've got to try to make it work with what you want to do so but you have got to be careful because you can get you can be so fixated on big that you know you just got big sloppy guys that that can't move much and and you know don't give you much in the way of position flexibility. We saw the same thing happen, Craig, with the wide receiver position at Texas. And I had a guy on Mac Brown's staff tell me one time. He said, "You know, we we got so obsessed with trying to find the next line of Swede that all of a sudden we looked up at our roster and we just had a bunch of big guys that weren't very fast."
1: Yeah, it's true. It's and,
0: true. and you can run in that hole, but so that's why I credit Sark. You know, and you you want big guys, but you got to make sure they're big guys that can move. You got to make sure they're big like. Evan Neal at Alabama is a really good example. You know, that's a guy that played guard, played tackle, played multiple positions, was a first round pick, and you can see the athleticism. I think we can all agree. Kelvin Banks at 300 plus. Kelvin Banks looks like a different kind of cat out there at left tackle. He did last year. Uh, these are the strides we saw Christian Jones make. Christian's 315, 320. So that's the difference to me with this Texas offensive line. Yeah, they're big, but they're big and they can move. And the same thing with those interior defensive linemen. So, it, yes. Fixate, you can be fixated on size. Size is good. Bulk is good. But make sure it's quality bulk that can move and can actually help you win ball games. And I think, Sark, that's why you're seeing him express the confidence you're seeing him express in this team and where it's going is they feel like they've got their kind of guys, and those are the kind of guys they want in the trenches.
1: Somebody texted in, as I shook Nate's hand at St. Edwards, a bunch of kids ran up hollering, Nate, Nate, I'm your biggest fan, to which Nate responded as he would nope. I'm my biggest fan <laughs> he was, but he's a good dude. i like I said, I've told the stories about him doing high school football games, so he was a lot of fun. uh all right, coming up, can
0: i this is a good segue for me to repeat my favorite Nate Newton line when I was yeah? doing uh I was doing a radio interview with him in San Antonio one time it was yeah a great interview with uh Paul Alexander was hosting the show. Paul's a great guy, and uh Paul said well because we we had him on, it was a longhorn focused show. we had Nate on to talk about Trey. And we interview Nate. It's great. Nate's awesome. And we get to the end of the interview and Paul goes, Yep, yeah, that's uh, Nate. Thanks for joining us. Nate Newton, folks, he never fails to deliver. And Nate, without skipping a beat, says, Yeah, there's a couple times I wish I had failed to deliver. <laughs>
1: that's him. <laughs> All right. And up next, inconceivable, you're on Light the Tower on the Horn one oh four nine one oh one nine AM twelve sixty. We're live, local and digital on the Horn app and at Hornfm.com. Inconceivable.
0: Inconceivable 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 you keep using the heart. i don't think it
2: means what you think it means
1: okay uh we have plenty of offerings here this morning with uh inconceivable so let's start it off with our producer cameron parker who has an offering for us
2: yeah so of course this week is the PJ championship played at oak hill in rochester new york now um besides the beautiful donald ross golf course they have another beautiful offering. Have you guys ever heard of the food item called the garbage plate?
0: I saw this and pretty much wanted to vomit.
2: Really? So okay. Well, let's, let's go with Craig here then. So, Craig, it's a traditional plate. Okay. That has a choice of either two cheeseburgers or okay. two hamburgers, or you do Italian sausage, steak, chicken, or Red Hots. Okay. served on top of either home fries or french fries with baked beans over top of that and a side of macaroni salad and then on top of that is the secret sauce which is some sort of
0: Craig look at the TV they're making it right there perfect right there oh the yeah ESPN. I'm looking
2: at it right there right yeah. there so you uh, see the baked beans okay. onions uh, this is the garbage plate and they're asking the players here what they have it uh, I think uh, most of them said not before I play a round of golf well that's true you know what,
1: I I would sample it. There's no way I could get all the way through it. I would eat different parts of it because we eat things like we'll eat hamburgers with beans and French fries mm-hmm. for dinner, and uh, so we'll we'll do that.
0: This looks like you need to mash about half a bottle of Tums after you.
2: Well, it depends one of on how things. much of that you eat. But you're right. I don't yeah. think it's
0: going to take very much. Yeah. So
2: the plate was actually, it started because factory workers in New York had only, only had time to eat one meal a day. So they decided, <laughs> let's put a bunch of crap together that will get them through the entire day. I like it. And eventually, it. Uh, college students became obsessed with it. And at the, the spot, I believe it's called Nick Tay House is where the place sells it. The son wanted the name of the garbage plate because college students would come in and just give me that garbage, give me that garbage. And the dad's the like, I don't want to name it a garbage plate. That's distasteful. Well, it's so called the garbage plate. I like the name of it, and I
1: would try. It. I, I wouldn't get all the way through it, Dude, that's but I looks... would try it. I would try it. I would eat some of it. There's nothing wrong with eating some of it. I just wouldn't try to clear off the whole thing. It's not. Doesn't have to be a man versus food thing, you know, when you do it. And then. If, if, if Elon Musk tried it, then it would make sense what he really wants going. Because right now, uh, and this is first world problems, Elon Musk wanted to build a bathroom next to his office at Twitter so he didn't have to wake up his bodyguards when he needed to go to the bathroom in the night. That's right. He requested the bathroom be built next to his office at the Twitter headquarters. He didn't want to have to wake up the security team in the middle of the night his right-hand man suggested they hire an unlicensed plumber so they didn't have to get a permit. Why does he need
0: to have a security guard to go to the bathroom?
1: Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's a completely different uh, set of combination. Yeah, a yeah, uh, conversation there uh, showing that. But he might need it after having the garbage plate, which they're showing there. I, I, I got to tell you, I like it. Now, I wouldn't, again, I'm telling Greg. you up front, I would not eat all of it. Probably wouldn't even get halfway through it. But I would eat some of it. I mentioned Montezuma's
0: Revenge earlier in the show, and that's all I think about when I look at that
1: plate.
2: Okay. I think without the Red Hots, I could do it. But with the cheeseburger, ah, I mean, it'd be too much. Okay. All right. Um, Okay.
1: All right, guys. I got to head out. Wait. Wait. I got to tell you this real quick. Uh, uh, The Disney World theme park has closed indefinitely. Uh, Of course, they have four theme parks, two water parks, over 30 resorts, other entertainment options, Uh, but they have construction projects going on underway at Disney World, including a change from Splash Mountain to Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Magic Kingdom. Epcot has major construction going on. Dreamers Point, the World Celebration neighborhood constructed, as well as the Journey of Water inspired by Moana, because she likes Moana, right?
0: We've we've cycled through many okay. Disney movies, Moana being So
1: older. I'm just I'm just wanting you know that uh, as you as you exit to your uh, to your meeting there, that you can take that when you talk to Tamara about this. It says it's closed indefinitely right now while they do this. Thank,
0: thank you, Specs Text Line. You never failed to deliver. I love any text that when you were talking about that garbage plate, I love any text that just starts with, my brother-in-law ate a huge bowl of chili before playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need to hear the rest of the story. I'm just going to let my mind carry me through yeah,
1: that. Yeah, there it is. Uh, okay, so there uh, is that one, uh, one other Disney note, by the way. They're, uh, they're, Disney is suing... A bunch of people in the Greater Orlando area because of counterfeit Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, there, there's a lot of this. Uh, they're they're sending cease and desist orders to uh, several different, things, including a site called Sparkling Dreamers, uh, where this guy makes mouse ears that are bejeweled and unique. But he also makes ears that are clearly Disney themed. Disney has decided to sue him. And uh, uh, he's not the only one. There's a TikToker who also advertised Martin's ears while at Disney parks, and they may have their annual passes revoked. It's just like that bit Disney.
0: that, like, when Marvel has sued like high school football teams for using certain yeah logos on their helmets and stuff.
1: Well, and and uh, I'll tell you what, uh, there were colleges that went through a lot of that. Kansas State with Elgin. Uh, Wisconsin yeah cuz
0: uh, there's been I don't know the woodlands has had to change there yeah yeah w. yeah
1: so um so uh yeah Des- disney is all about that um and uh and a couple other uh, items that uh we'll get to here uh what do you think it costs to rent an apartment in Manhattan these days New York yeah yeah oh man what, what would you guess just just take a guess in Manhattan Okay. All right. See, now you would think that you would be in the neighborhood, and you probably were for some time. Uh, But now, uh, the cost to rent in a Manhattan apartment hit a record high for the second month in a row. Now, typically, rental activities build from the spring to a peak in late summer. But median rent last month was the highest on record. The median cost of renting an apartment in Manhattan in the month of April. $4,241, $4,200 $4,241, wow. 4200 a month to rent in Manhattan. That's up 8% from a year ago and up 1.6% from March when the rents hit a record high of $4,175. A one-bedroom apartment had a median rent of $4,200 of 5%, while a two-bedroom apartment had a median rent of $5,500. $5,500 a month for a two-bedroom. Up from 11% a year ago. A studio apartment rents for a median price of $3,235. Insane. Yeah. So not only are median rental prices going up, but the amount of concessions, the incentives offered by landlords are dropping in April. Those concessions paid by landlords fell to their lowest level since November of 2019. So, um, yeah, if you're wanting to live in New York, it's going to cost you. Um, so uh, that's our looking Inconceivable. Now, uh, coming up, we'll have a uh, Flex 30 update. And then we're going to visit with Mike White, Texas softball coach. Talk about this big softball regional they have going. The NCA's begin tomorrow at McCombs Field. We'll get Mike's thoughts on that. We'll hear from David Pierce. Our second hour Longhorn Notebook. So we have a lot still to come here on Light the Tower. Here on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.